Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for December 30th, 2018, the last show of a really exciting political year, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta, sorry. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, Catherine, you know I'm on a different communication system. You had me just a bit scared that the whole thing had crashed. Um, well, yes, like I said at the top of the show, we're not one, one we're not going to have a guest tonight because there's a lot of things to do, including talking about some of the bigger stories of 2018. We've picked out three, uh, and we're by no means are going to cover them. Three um, nationally, and at least two of us have one locally. Tim Shifflett is going to have an outrage in a few minutes. We're also going to start a new little segment we're going to do um, pretty much, I guess, at least to the first half of this year. As candidates jump into the presidential race officially, we're going to do a little buy-sell-hold and kind of look at their um, odds of winning the nomination individually. I guess when Donald Trump officially announces or any other Republicans uh, will look at them, too. Um, you know, when those come as well. But mainly it's going to be Democrats because the Democratic field is expected to be far larger based on last week's discussion of South Carolina in the primary. But starting off, like we started off last week, the government shutdown is now in its eighth-plus day. This thing's been going on for over a week throughout the holidays. Um, Catherine, were you surprised it's lasted this long? I was surprised that it lasted this long. Uh, I thought they would come up with some continuing resolution or something, but uh, they seem to be both pretty, both sides seem pretty set in their, um, set in their decision and feel sorry for all the workers, the people who are working without getting paid and the people who are furloughed. Yes, I mean, a lot of things are, are, are happening. I guess even some of the parks may start to close, and this is the Christmas holidays where people, you know, take trips because kids are off school, and, and many of um, older employees might have some time, so that's another factor. And, and as the thing lingers on, more and more aspects all begin to be affected. And, Tim, I guess one reason that it has lasted longer is because it is the holiday season, Congress is out of session, but Donald Trump has decided to stay in Washington, but he really hasn't used that to his advantage. A lot of Republicans I hear kind of miffed. He canceled his plans to go to Mar-a-Lago, the 16-day vacation um, that was planned before. Yet, even though he stayed, he's lost the narrative, (laughs) even though a lot of um, congressional leaders have left Washington and, and did take some vacations, yet... They're not getting the blame, and he is. Um, what do you think about the political aspect of this? 
Uh, of all things privately, it, it, it is rumored or, or being said that he thinks this is going to be a winner for him. He he loves this. He he can uh, give his base uh, the impression that he's fighting for their priorities and that he's attempting to keep his campaign promises and he can also carry this fight into the new year because he will finally have a genuine opponent, uh, not a made-up one, an enemy, and that will be Speaker Pelosi. So I think that's what he is pointing toward, and I believe that in his mind or in his little circle, in his world, he thinks he's got a political winner here of all things. Yeah, I, yeah I well, I he think just... he's going to – Go ahead, Catherine. I think he's going to be surprised when uh, Pelosi and the Dems come down hard on him. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to. I think they're going – I mean, I think I think they've already got a – I don't know what their plan is, but I think they've got a plan, and I don't think it's going to be good for him. Well, I think that um... – you're right about the fact that uh, it is going to give him an enemy to oppose, and in his you know kind of pro wrestling world, which he comes a little bit from, then that's a good narrative for him to reinforce his base. And just like the shutdown may help him with his base, but he's not going to expand his base, and he's not going to get anything done for the American people. I mean, to me, that's a bigger issue if he wants to win in 2020 is get back swing voters, right, Catherine? Yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess that at least for a short time, his his base might be happy about this. But if it goes on too long, they're not going to be. When you know that that you know when services start, when they decide they want to go to a national park and they can't go, or you know whatever services they have come to expect are no longer available. So, um, I mean, I guess it could be a short win for him, but if it goes on too long, it's not going to be a win for him. He, uh, he, 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 they, they, they said that, uh, some in his administration are talking to him about, look, uh, if you make this, go on until the end of next week, you can actually ruin the news cycle for Nancy Pelosi because January oh, the 3rd was going to be all about her becoming speaker, and now you can dominate the news cycle instead and ruin it for her, and he just loves that. I mean, he is actually oh, thinking, this This. This is what I can... I mean, this guy is really... Uh, in a bizarre world, guys, he's woo. <laughs> and, and you know, I haven't heard any conversations about Nancy Pelosi and how she looks at, you know, <laughs> becoming speaker for the second time. I mean, it's kind of like she's getting rehired, wow. if you will, or or what have you. So it's not her first time. I guess Grover Cleveland might know how she feels. So to me, it's not as as far as the ceremonial uh, part of it. She's been there before, so therefore I couldn't imagine her caring about that. I just get the sense that her and most of the Democrats in Congress 
They want real power to stop Donald Trump's agenda, and that's what they're getting. They're not as superficial as he is. I don't know if anybody in Washington, anybody that's ever been in Washington, is more superficial than he is. So I don't think he's even playing the same game they are, so they can't care because they wouldn't even understand um, valuing appearances over reality. What do you think, Catherine? I don't know. i got to tell you guys, I saw Vice yesterday and was reminded very, you know, clearly about the Bush administration. And, um, you know, while I think we've said before that Bush looks a lot better than he did uh, now that Trump is president, they were a mess. I mean, they were awfully... Um, concerned about appearances and not really interested in serving the entire country. So I don't think, I mean, I I think it's easy to remember that a little more fondly than it was, but when you're reminded of all the things that happened during the Bush administration with Cheney and Rumsfeld and the gang, um, it's not as it's not as pretty a picture as we might like to think of in comparison to, to uh, Donald Trump. Well, I mean, I'm talking so, about Nancy Pelosi, and I know that, you know, Democrats oh, can have Pelosi. the oh, same yeah. character I, I mean, flaws that Republicans think... can have, but I, I just get the sense yeah, I that, th- I mean, the reason we wanted uh, to win was because we wanted to stop the Trump agenda. I, I mean, I know it wasn't our names on the ballot. But I don't think we're that far removed from what a lot of the leaders in Congress would have wanted. Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think Nancy Pelosi is concerned about pomp and circumstance and getting all the media attention. I don't think that – I mean, sure, I mean, everybody – I mean, when you get to that level of power, you like to be acknowledged and you like to get some attention. But I don't think she's going to be heartbroken if um, Trump gets more some more negative – uh, press because the um, government shutdown continues and she doesn't get the attention uh, that she might have gotten had that not been going on, if that made any sense. But. Yeah, and, and honestly, as long as this government shut goes, uh, shutdown goes on, if the camera's on you, you're the one holding the hot potato. You're the one holding the exploding bomb. So to me, that's a net negative. Uh, what do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Trump, Trump is is, is I, I, look, looks like he would have learned with Nancy Pelosi already. Uh, this thing he's talking about dominating, she doesn't care about that. <laughs> she has an agenda. She's been putting this g- agenda together for months and months and months. It's a legislative agenda. Uh, along with some other things like, you know, some committee work that's going to go on with hearings and investigations and this like that. And she is going to begin to act on that the moment that she and the rest of the House are sworn in. They're going to get to work on their legislative work immediately, uh, and they they have a good bit of it uh, as we – See to do, and Trump can just babble and go on and, and say this and do that, and 
and, and it's not going to matter to her at all. No, and I mean, we'll see. They'll be, they'll be polling on this. I think there's been very little polling because it has been during the holidays. And once, mm-hmm. um, if this continues on, they'll be polling uh, more about who's to blame and that kind of thing, particularly when the Democrats take control of the House, because obviously it's harder to blame the Democrats when they're in the minority still, but that changes, you know, next week. And so um, polls will be done, and we'll see. Um, it's really going to be more gridlock. There's not going to be anybody really accomplishing much uh, on their agenda either way, but um, it kind of depends on where you sit or where you sat, uh, if you think that's a good thing or not. Now, Tim, there's a new facet that's kind of come up uh, that was reported, I guess, in Political Wire and other places this over the weekend, and you have a little outrage on that, and it fits in with this. So let's go ahead and let you speak on that, and then we will discuss it. All righty. I want to, uh, just for a couple of minutes, folks, talk about numbers. Number, numbers are interesting. Numbers are useful. Numbers tell a straightforward story. Numbers don't judge or take sides. And if the books ain't cooked, so to speak, then numbers help to divine the truth. They are data. Data does that. So with all of that in mind, I have a few numbers to throw out to everyone just for a couple of minutes here. The first number is 2.1 million. Now, that's the number of federal government employees excluding the post office and the military. The federal government, as we know, is the top employer in the country. Here's another number, 420,000. Now, that number represents the federal employees who are considered, quote, essential and must now work through the entire government shutdown with no pay. There's another 380,000, if you want to have another number, uh, that are furloughed also with no pay for a total of 800,000. Now, here's one more number, 1.9. That's not a very big number. It happens to be the percentage pay increase for federal workers that was passed by the Senate earlier this year. Donald Trump objected to that in August, so the House took his lead, and they took no action on this pay increase. And so, with no congressional agreement, an automatic 2.1% pay increase that we've been hearing about was set to take effect on January the 6th. But this past Friday, uh, the president signed an executive order to freeze federal workers' pay for 2019. Only the military is exempt from this order. Now, he cited budgetary concerns as his reasoning, stating that, quote, we couldn't sustain these increases and get our fiscal house in order. Huh. So uh, how about still another number? Now, this one is 200,000. This one's interesting. Because that happens to be the number of federal employees who live and work in the big old red state of Texas. I imagine a lot of these people voted for Trump. They won't be getting a raise if this order stands. You see, most federal employees live and work out in the 50 states and territories outside of Washington, D.C. They all buy things and pay taxes in these places. No raises are coming for any of them. No extra money to the local economies, 
no extra money for all these households of all these people who already are on average paid less than their private sector counterparts are paid. So Trump has produced quite an interesting argument for doing this, hasn't he? Well, let's allow more numbers to talk. The next two are 17 and 981 billion. Now, the last number is next year's projected budget deficit. And that's 17, well, that's the percent that the deficit is increasing because of the $1.5 trillion tax cut for the rich that our president championed and signed into law. Did you know, by the way, that there has been a freeze in pay for appointed senior administration officials in effect since 2013. Did you also know that that freeze is uh, all set to expire on January the 5th? Now that leads us to another number, 11,000. That will be the dollar amount of automatic pay increases for all of the cabinet members. Pretty sweet, huh? But, of course, our president's arguing that, you know, the budget can't even stand a $19 a week raise for some low-level office worker in Montana, right? One last number, $5 billion. Now, we know what that one is if we watch the news. That's the money for the wall, that absurd wall that Trump demands, that wall that three-fifths of our population is opposed to. The whole reason Trump shut the government down. On January the 3rd, the Democrats take over the House. I think they should, as their first official act, pass a pay increase for all of these workers and send it over to the Senate. The Senate should pass it and send it to the president's desk. Let's see what he does with it then. The presidents that we have in this country should not slap average folks in the face just because they can Look at the numbers, folks. They don't add up for this president. And that's where we stand with government employees. David? Yeah, and, and just to add to it about the raises and the numbers and freezes and different things, you know, my household, the overwhelming majority of the income is from government salary, not federal government, but government salary. And because after the recession that was in 2006, 2008, and just continued to decline, government workers didn't feel that initially. They felt that a few years later, because tax rolls kind of had to catch up. So most um, government workers at any level have really had little to no raises um, in recent years. And just now, you know, the tax rolls are getting better because the economy, you know, started getting better a few years ago. And so probably a lot of folks were not only just wanting the raise, because, you know, everybody always wants a raise, but they hadn't had a raise in a long time. And it was a really a chance to get one and probably keep up with the cost of living because when the economy goes better, a lot of times inflation goes up. So that's that kind of another layer to make this um, move by Donald Trump sting even more. Um, Tim, you mentioned, you know, where they are, where the workers are. Has anybody seen any exit polling, and Catherine, you may have too, on how government workers, or even more particularly federal government, government, government workers vote 
I mean, are they uh, right with their population demographics? Is, are they slightly more Democratic, possibly slightly more Republican? Although I would doubt that, uh, just based on um, uh, maybe um, education levels and other things. What do y'all know? I, I haven't seen any of those numbers. I haven't looked for them, so I, I haven't. It, it it seems to depend on where they're located. We know that in the states of Maryland, for instance, and in northern Virginia, there is a large concentration of federal government workers, and they vote pretty much universally Democratic. You, the further you move away from Washington, though, yeah. the less that seems to apply. So that in a state like Texas, I mentioned, or just take Utah or just any of the 50 states, uh, they're going to tend to vote more like their state votes, especially in local and statewide elections. Uh, But uh, this guy, (laughs) this guy just, I mean, this raises a pittance, guys. 2.1%. 2.1%. It's nothing. Uh, and, and and these people are already making nothing. They, as a matter of fact, they literally yeah. right now are making nothing, and all because of a wall that three-fifths of the people in this country are adamantly opposed to. And, and, and most of the and, people who... Who work who work on the who work in immigration and are on the on the ground also are against it. Yeah. But people should think about this. If you go to the lo- local social security office, like I've done a great deal of in the last year, uh, the people sitting in the windows those are employees of the federal government, and they don't make a lot of money. Just just people think that they're living it up. Uh. Uh, federal government employees tend to have pretty good benefits. They don't make a lot of money. Well, what is wrong with you? Oh, oh, I don't know. David, you're a government employee. Chime in. <laughs> well, and and I think this goes back, and I think we texted about this today. Donald Trump is a bully by nature. He likes to push people around, and he just doesn't understand that democracy – is not a bully form of government. It's a consensus form of government. You know, when you study the Constitution, they talk about the great compromise, but but that's not how he's functioned in his negotiations um, throughout his career. He you know bullies people around and um, uses whatever kind of influence to manipulate things to get his way. That's not how um, you work in democratic society, and so. Uh, that's why he probably admires all these dictatorships. And really, I think the you know the federal workers are a pawn in his game. Um, they're just you know face facing the brunt. It's just how many of these folks in these states, especially you mentioned some of these swing states or these Rust Belt states that um, kind of surprisingly went for him last election. Right. Are they then going to put two and two together? The workers themselves, the spouses, the Parents, the you know adult children, whatever it is, and they're going to say, "Let's let, vote." Let, um, in let, our best let me answer that. Work with a question. What, what's the first thing people always vote? Their pocketbook, right? Pocketbook, yeah. 
He's setting them right in it. Them, their families, all of them. Good grief. Yeah, and uh, maybe this is another thing they need to poll. Um, let's get with you know some of our pollster friends and poll federal workers because since they are, like you said, Tim, the largest um, employer uh, in the, around the nation, if you could begin right. to employ uh, federal workers and see how they're moving, and maybe we can see how they're moving um, in some of the other approval rating polls and what have you, we can get a sense of this. We know that Donald Trump had his lowest approval rating uh, in the morning consult poll. Wasn't it 39% approval rating, or was it, it right. dropped about six right. points? Because uh, yeah. that was one of his uh, – Not it was no Rasmussen, but it was not his worst poll by any means, and um, he's gone down there. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how this thing plays out, but it doesn't appear – that his uh, 16 days spent in D.C. and instead of Mar-a-Lago um, have really paid off for him um, in the optics department. What do you think, Catherine? <laughs> oh, no, it's not paying off for him. Yeah. And, and his so. and his visit, his visit to the troops didn't nope. work out that well for him either. He looked nope. like such an idiot with that jacket on. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, mean, I do kind of wonder what prompted that. This guy that really likes his vacation time, he likes being at his properties, so people think his properties are more important. He, he's, you know, made this decision, which, and I will say, is a more responsible decision than he usually chooses to stay in Washington and then visit the troops, but. Um, he didn't really listen to advisors, so it's not like anybody advised him necessarily. Did he just come a, a, about this upon his own, or, or what? Well, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything. You, you know, guys, you, you know, I started throwing around these numbers. You scattered these people out in all the states, 2.1 million of them. Then you scattered in their spouses. Maybe a lot of them have grown children that also vote. Man, we could be talking about six or seven million voters. David, you had a good idea. A pollster needs to get out there and poll federal employees about, number one, how they voted, number two, how they voted in the midterms, and number three, what their thoughts are on this shutdown and what just happened to them with their pay raises and things like that. I I think it'd be an eye-opening experience, and I think it would be an eye-opening experience in a lot of red areas of this country, don't you? Yeah, and I will say this. One one reason it might be hard is uh, how are you going to get a list of federal employees, or you could just call a universe of just – you know, tens of thousands of people until you got a random sample. Question one, are you a federal employee? You know, and then I guess from there you could aggregate the data, but I don't know if you could find the list. Because then if you did take a um, union database of federal workers, you might say, well, those workers are probably more likely to be Democratic based on their union affiliation. Although still you could take that and maybe aggregated it. Let's no, say seven that, three. Now that, they're eight to two, they've moved. That hasn't been that tr- 
true in presidential politics in recent years about union yeah. Uh, yeah. members. So we've seen uh, as many as 40% of them vote, vote, you know, for the Republican nominee. Well, and uh, I'm talking, those are some private unions where culturally and demographically they fit more with um, the Republicans now. And so I think some of your uh, service workers unions – uh, fit more democratic, um, so therefore, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a little something to look at. But I, th- I think maybe the answer might be: do the first question: Are you a federal worker? Have a ten thousand, you know, call universe or whatever you need, where you just do the robocalling. And I know robocalling is not as good as live polling, but at least it would kind of give a uh, indication. And then plus, once you had identified that pool of uh, federal workers as you built it up over time, you could go back to that group to repoll if you needed to. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. Well, guys, we're about halfway through the show. I think we need to move to our next topic, and that's going to be our brand-new segment, Buy, Sell, Hold. And we're going to do the candidates this way. As they maybe not completely officially announced, but once there's some concrete evidence that they have entered the race, not thinking about it, but they've made statements, formed an exploratory committee, what have you, uh, stated on record that they're running. We're going to look at it. And so far, we've looked and uh, found three candidates that fit this bill. So we're going to um, look at them one at a time. The first one, Tim, um, you brought to my attention that former Congressman John Delaney of Maryland has announced that he's running for president. Um, Tim, since he's your guy that you remembered, uh, buy, sell, hold on this fella. Well, I'm going to say sell. I only happen to remember him just in passing in a news item earlier this year. He just happened to be the first person to announce that he was going to uh, uh, run for president after announcing that he was not going to run for reelection to Congress. Uh, I really don't think he's got much of a base to work with. I know they all think that lightning will strike, but uh, outside of the three of us, uh, I, I, I wager there's not a lot of other people in the state of Georgia that that have John Delaney's name on their lips. I doubt if much of Maryland knows who he is, so... Uh, I'm saying uh, definitely uh, sell him because he'll get swamped quickly. Catherine, your thoughts? I agree with Tim. I, I just think he has n- virtually no name. Catherine? I'm sorry, my cat just just took my headphones. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, he has no no name, very little name recognition. I I've, I've hardly heard of him. And not that I'm, you know, an expert, but I feel like I'm a little more inside baseball than a lot of people. So I'm going to say sell on him. All right. So we have Tim and Catherine both selling on John Delaney. Catherine's cat may be buying on John Delaney. That may be why she's not the phone out of your hand, Catherine. I don't know. You'll have to talk to it. Um and so I'm going to tell y'all, when you, you know, in the stock market, I guess there's penny stocks that, you know, are such a long shot. You can buy them for pennies. Um, but then you got to pay a transaction fee on it. So I don't think I'd even want to pay the transaction fee 
on this penny stock. Um, so I'm going to sell with you. It kind of reminds me of the old, uh, I guess, when you said he got in the race, um, first one in and strike lightning in the bottle, Tim. There's the Georgia mm. lot or all the lotteries around the country. You can't play. You can't win if you don't play. So I guess he thinks if he uh, doesn't um, run, he can't win. So he's got to at least get his name in there. So that must be the thinking. So Tim, thanks for bringing John Delaney to us, but no one wanted to buy except for the cat. Um, so let's <laughs> go ahead and go to the next one. And this one's probably a, a little more of a name based on the 2018 or 18 election, even though he didn't win his race for Congress. He's, a, a, I guess, right now, um, not much longer, but right now, a sitting senator from West Virginia, Richard Ojeda. Um, Catherine, what do you think of Senator Ojeda's chances? Very slim. I think he's too conservative for... You know, he voted for Trump. I think it's going to be a hard sell to convince us Democrats that he's really with us. So I'm going to say sell. Yes. Um, I'll go ahead and I'll take it next. Uh, and I'll say this. I want to kind of mix it up a little bit. Now, I'm at least going to say hold. And I'll tell you why. The fact that he he does have these conservative positions on coal, voted for Donald Trump, admittedly, but then a lot of progressive supportive people donated money and like him despite that. Uh, I, it is kind of uh, you know vexing that one person will have one position and get completely thrown under the bus um, in Democratic circles, and he's been given a little bit of a pass uh, at times. Um, the one reason – I'll say hold is because if he goes to Iowa and runs a race, not for president of the United States, but runs a race for the winner of the Iowa caucus and just lives there and goes from state to state to state with his fiery speech and and probably is able to connect a lot with these voters in Iowa that are probably, you know, fairly similar to West Virginia culturally um, even though farmers to miners, but still kind of the same, um, you know, experience in some ways. He might could focus everything and really exceed expectations in Iowa alone, and then he would have to figure out the next act, which I think would be a lot tougher. Uh, New Hampshire, more so, would probably be a little better than um, Nevada or South Carolina for him. But to me, that's his play. What do you think, Tim? You know, I'm going to have to lean toward what Catherine is saying. Um, now, 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 you mentioned progressives sending in money. Progressives uh, and establishment Democrats were united at the hip in one thing this year, get Trump. And we, we tried to help everybody. And every red district that was running that had even a, a slightest we 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 sent we sent money all over the country ten fifteen twenty bucks at a time uh, through the internet and all of that and uh, he did run a very good race in an extremely red district and tied up some Republican uh, money and. Uh, 
That being said, I think he was more like a flavor of the month, even though he has a pretty good life story. Um, I, I, I just think, again, there's going to be so many of them running that he's just going to kind of get lost in, in in the shuffle. And I don't really think he'll fit in that well in a state like Iowa, and certainly not uh, with the Democratic uh, voters in New Hampshire right after that. So I'm, I'm going to say sell, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't think his chances are good either. I just think he at least has a play. I think between him and Delaney, if all they did was drive around counties in Iowa, Delaney still wouldn't find any real traction. Ojeda might. Um, I mean, if, if they both of y'all do, if you got hired, I mean, would your play be, hey, run all 50 states and try to run a national campaign or just focus on somewhere that you might, you know, get second or third if lightning strikes in a bottle? Well, that's a thought yeah, I, to consider. Yeah, I just. I still don't. Uh, I, I still mean, don't, it's, it's, I, 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 Go ahead. I, I still don't. I mean, he might be able to pull something off in Iowa, but I think Tim's right. Once he gets to New Hampshire, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to put up with. I, mean, I think there's going to be a lot of questions about why he voted for Trump. I mean, he admittedly voted yeah. for Trump and to me that it's, it would just be hard to accept that. You know, you can vote for whoever you want, but I mean, look how tried and true Democrats looked at Bernie Sanders because he wasn't a real, he was, didn't, wouldn't call himself a wouldn't, you know, name himself as a Democrat. I mean, he did in the race, but he still runs as an independent in, in Vermont. So I just think, I, I just think it would be a really hard sell um, in a presidential campaign, especially when it's going to be, you know, whatever, a couple dozen probably people running that have a better democratic um, dance card than he does. Oh, yeah, and I, and I think yep. another Achilles heel, I don't think he's going to be able to raise any money, um, well, not the oh, kind of money he's going to need. You know, and, and so that's going to be a huge a problem, uh, the money part. But I was like I said, the I was the plus. And you got to have a – you got to have an organization in Iowa because it's a caucus. Yeah. you got to get your people to those caucuses. And I just don't think a guy like that coming out of the gate has any resources. I just – I don't see it happening. So, Yes. Last candidate, um, probably the, the candidate of the three that um, has had the most notoriety uh, recently. Help me out because I, I've been traveling all weekend. It's one of the Castro brothers. I, I, I don't want to oh, get it Julian. wrong. I know it's Joaquin. Julian. Julian Castro. So I want to make sure I've got the right one running because they're twins. Uh, I'm sure they've been confused a lot in their life being twin brothers. It's Julian Castro. Um, and he right. would be the congressman from Texas, not the former mayor of San Antonio, correct? Right. Correct. Yes, and so because uh, the other brother uh, was um, rumored to be a possible VP candidate one time, but so this is um, Congressman Castro, and so um, let me see. Uh, 
Tim, go ahead and tell us what you think on this. This one I'm buying. This one is known. This one looks good on television. This one can articulate. This one can knows how to raise money. This one knows how to put together an organization. Uh, this one could. Uh, th- this one could be a top five or six candidate, maybe if if things break just right for him. But this one is one to watch. I'm buying this one. What do you think, Catherine? I'm buying him too, and I think one of the main reasons for me is that he's a sharp contrast to President President Trump. He's yeah. young. He's uh, mm-hmm. attractive. He's poised. Mm-hmm. He's um, mm-hmm. articulate. He's experienced. Mm-hmm. He has really good connections in Washington. He served in the Obama pres- Obama uh, president's mm-hmm. cabinet, right? And he's yep. um, and he knows everybody. You know, he's well known, and his name is recognized. He's from Texas, which is you know always good for to be from a big state like Texas. So I'm I'm keen on him. My only concern is I I'm, I I haven't seen him in action enough to know if um if if you know Trump will chew him up and spit him out, you know, like and how he will withstand that. I mean, remember how Jeb Bush, I'm not comparing Julian Castro to Jeb Bush, but I'm comparing Trump's treatment of Jeb to how he might, you know what I mean? And, 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 mm-hmm. and Jeb Bush just couldn't handle it. It, it was, it was too much for him. Whereas, you know, some of the other candidates were able to um, stand up to him better. So that's my only concern, but I think we can um, certainly see how that goes. And also if he does, you know, if he does rise in the um, primaries and, turns out to be a really good candidate, then he'll get a lot of training on how to, you know, how to work that, I think. So I'm, I'm big on him. Yes. I guess it's, it's my turn and I'm going to have to vacillate between um, sale or buy with a sell order ready to go. And I, I tell you why, Catherine, you're right. He's, he's young, he's dynamic, he's good speaker. He's from Texas. And so is Beto O'Rourke. And I think if those two, it's a choice for most folks between uh, Congressman Castro and Congressman O'Rourke, they're going to choose the the bigger deal every time. And so I I think that's the reason he got in. I've heard that other places. He got in quick while Beto O'Rourke's thinking about it because he knows that Beto O'Rourke kills a lot of his narrative. So if I bought it, I'd buy it as soon as O'Rourke's in, I got a sale. Or I just save my money for the real article, and that's probably not fair to Congressman Castro. But that's how I think a lot of it's going to be. Um, is we'll take the Texas guy that looks like Justin Trudeau in a lot of ways, who Trump hates, and we can have our own American version of but Justin Trudeau you, running you, against Trump. You mentioned, Tim? yeah, but you mentioned getting in quick. Don't you think? With the number of people we're talking about, perhaps more than 20 looking at this race, that they're going to get in quicker this cycle than we've ever seen them get in before. I believe once the first of the year starts rolling, people are going to start getting in this race left and right. 
more than a year out from New Hampshire, don't you? Oh, I think it's going to be a big field. I've heard that it could get up to 20. Um, it's going to be one of those where a lot of yeah. these folks and some of the folks that we just mentioned may not even make the debate stage because they're not going to poll a percent and they're not, they can't have like a double row with risers of a debate <laughs> panel. We know how the 15 looked last time in the Republican primary. Um, and that was kind of a disaster with 15. Um, they're not going to want to repeat of that. And they're certainly not going to want 20 of that. Uh, unless Democrats just said, Hey, we want it this way. And that's where the, you know, the DNC will come in. Um, I'll just be honest with it. All three of these folks, and I'll let y'all give y'all's opinion on that. I think that um, it's really everybody's waiting for a lot more candidates. It's kind of like you know the old game shows like Price is Right and Let's Make a Deal. I don't want what's the, you know the Showcase Showdown one. I'm going to wait and see what Showcase Showdown two is. I, I don't want what's in that box. I want what's behind that curtain. I think a lot of people are going to wait for a lot of candidates opposed to these three. What do you think, Catherine? Well, I I have to say that um, I get your point about Beto O'Rourke, but I just feel like Julian Castro has more experience. And is, I mean, I like Beto O'Rourke, don't get me wrong, but I I think they're, I mean, I think they're both, they they both have the the, um, potential to be really good candidates, but I'm not convinced that, uh, Beto is head and shoulders above Julian. That's just my opinion. But yeah, we can't have. Well, I mean, they're both congressmen. We can't have a marching. We can't have a marching band on the debate stage. You know, we can't have like, you know, a big band. <laughs> we have to. <laughs> no, I, I can't mean, do that. Like we can't do that. Uh, I guess they could do like. Um, Debate night one with 10 candidates and debate night two with 10 candidates. Or they just go by polling data, and if you're polling below um, 2% or something, you're out. Um, and yeah, that'll be know interesting to see be, get you know, really how they decide that. About that. Yeah, I mean, it's once people again, are not be very democratic. How can you get above 2% if no one hears you? Exactly. So, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of yeah. one of those circular things where uh, your problem becomes uh, creates a new problem and creates the old problem and reinforces it and um, you can't get your way out of it. Uh, well, let's go ahead and well, we're going to have more weeks to discuss these kind of things and at times some of the new candidates that enter may bring up these three candidates. So, so we, we may not be done with them at times. But let's, uh, our last segment, since it's the end of 2018, what an exciting political year. We're all going to do a national story, and I think at least two of us have a state story to talk about. And, and probably given that we're so short on time, why don't we uh, let Tim go with his national story? And you, Catherine, you and I can do our national and our state story uh, just to hopefully get through. Tim, what's your uh, national story of 2018? The one that struck me was Donald Trump just pretty much falling flat uh, in the 2018 midterms. Uh, I guess it was inevitable, guys. What worked for Donald Trump in 2016 kind of backfired in 2018, but he took the same stuff out for a spin, 
uh, you know, with uh, the bogeyman, Nancy Pelosi. That didn't get any traction. And then the border security, of all things, running around the country with border security. And that really uh, blew up in his face. And and it, it, it helped really to produce a rout at the congressional level of historic proportions, Democrats, won the House with the biggest uh, margin uh, of all time, over 9 million votes. Um, And what saved the GOP, I guess, from an even worse shellacking was stuff we talked about, like gerrymandering and voter suppression laws and tactics. Uh, and they were they were lucky with the Senate map this year that so many Democrats were defending, uh, but but still they didn't do that well with the Senate. About a year ago, right before uh, the Alabama uh, special, the Republicans had a 52-48 lead in the Senate. And when the smoke cleared on election night after the midterms, they had picked up a grand total of one seat in a year for a 53-47 lead in a year that they should have picked up several more. Uh, The Democrats, by the way, actually won six House seats where they fielded no candidate in the last election. And so... uh, Uh, It was all about Trump and in a very negative way. That's the huge takeaway for me nationally from this year. Donald Trump lost by being Donald Trump. Yeah, and I think this portends some really negative consequences for Donald Trump. You know, Catherine mentioned George W. Bush. He did well in 2002. Ronald Reagan, I don't think he's 82, was just disastrous. George H.W. Bush didn't have that good in 1990, not as bad as Donald Trump's 2018. But if you look, George H.W. Bush, George Bush didn't win re-election. And so Republicans don't fare as poorly in their first midterm as a lot of Democrats have recently. So if Donald Trump did this bad, good chance he ain't going to get a second midterm um, because it, this is just going to roll into <laughs> 2020. So – I think you're right about this being a huge indicator, if you will. Um, well, Catherine, go ahead and once you do, you you choose the order, state, low, uh, state, and uh, federal, whichever you want to go. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with what I what is a actually a global issue, but uh, certainly a major concern for those of us in the in the United States, and that's climate change. Um, I mean, there's a lot of issues that are great concern to me, but with this recent report that came out and the reaction from uh, the Trump administration and Republicans, it's really uh, becoming a a, a huge concern that uh, we really can't ignore. Um, I was really fortunate today. I had decided I wanted to talk about this, and then I turned on Meet the Press, and they did a whole hour on climate change. So thank you, Meet the Press. Because they really gave me a lot of information, and it's it's quite it's quite daunting and scary to think about, you know, the the global implications of um, like the population shift shifting away from coast, and what that means 
uh, not just in this country, but around the world, especially in uh, poverty-stricken countries where they'll have people that can't exist in their current location and are going to have to move. It's a little – we are going to face those same issues. But in addition to the coastal areas, I also learned today that the Midwest, because heat is held in by clouds, it's, it, 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 we have the potential of seeing basically nonstop rain in the Midwest region of this country. Um, it's also a huge national security problem. Apparently, um, all the um, all the uh, military services are required to do regular reports on um, what the implications are for climate change for their particular part of the military, whether it's the Marines or the Army or the Navy or the Coast Guard. They're all required to do um, regular reporting on how climate change is impacting their ability to keep the country secure. And this includes a really chilling, uh, well, not a very good use of words, but um, concern about the melting of the Arctic um, ice and what that means because China and Russia are already staking claims to that part of the world. And it, it, it creates an, an incredibly um, scary uh, national security problem so there's a lot of things and then like and then politically we have florida which is probably the, the florida is probably the the state that's going to see the most uh drastic change the most quickly california has a lot but california has done quite a bit to uh mediate some of this you know they've had Governor Jerry Brown there for whatever, six years, eight years, and he's really been working hard on climate change. So this, that's what I'm concerned about, and I think we all have to, you know, think about how we, I mean, there's, there's, it's a simple solution. We have to cut back on our, um, on our greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, it, it sounds simple. It's not because we all drive cars and we all, you know, get things that come off ships and ships are one of the biggest polluters. So, but we're talking about sources of food, um, agriculture, clean water, all these things mm-hmm. have a major impact on our lives and we're not doing anything in this country. Really. Yeah. The sad thing is really having an Catherine, impact. Catherine, if I, we'd, I, we may have done this segment, but in 2017 with the hurricanes in, in Houston and in, yeah. um, Puerto Rico, and then us pulling out of the Paris Accords, it would have been my issue in 2017, and it didn't get fixed. We ignored it, and we've ignored it many other years, so that's the bigger problem is we just don't face up to it. Well, go ahead and go with your local one. Yeah. My local one is is really simple, Congressional District 6. So, you know, early in the year, we had the special election, and we all got excited about John Ossoff, but he, you know, got, what, 48% of the vote, and it was the, the... most expensive U.S. representative, U.S. House race in history. But I think it laid the groundwork for Lucy McBath to prevail over Karen Handel in November. So I think that's a really, um, it's a really good um, example of that this is a marathon, not a sprint. We have to be, you know, ready with good mm-hmm. candidates, ready with good candidates who, are, who recognize that they might lose but we'll get back in the race and get back in the game 
and continue to fight. And uh, I think that that was a wonderful example of that. And I'm really thrilled that um, Lucy McBath is in Congress, and I think she's going to I think she's going to do some good for us, especially on the issue that she was so passionate about, which is gun control. So um, Mm -hmm. that's my local. Yeah, I mean, Democrats did make gains or or progress is probably the better way to say it in 2018 in Georgia. But without that House seat flipping, they weren't as tangible because it was just, oh, we lost closer. Uh, But that helped us actually win something. Um, Yes. Well, I'll go with my two, and then, Tim, we'll let you comment on all these with the extra time we got. Uh, My national issue is going to be – it kind of was framed in the Amazon H2 headquarters decision, although that was kind of much to do about nothing because it seemed like the fix was in, if you will. But just throughout the year, Amazon um, opened these stores that didn't have employees, and the more you learn in all facets, not just Amazon, but all facets – a lot of things that we do with employees are going to be done automatically with robots, with the customer assistance. I mean, we're already seeing you going to McDonald's, you order your food, you pay with your credit card, and then somebody does have to prepare it and give it to you. But that probably takes one job out of the process. The uh, grocery stores for years now, self-checkout, one person does four registers instead of four registers. Um, and Amazon's just pushing that forward. More things are being sold online, not retail, which that's jobs. And at the same time, the biggest retail store of the past 100-plus years, Sears filed for bankruptcy and has closed just so many locations. Um, I would honestly probably have to look up where to go to Sears nowadays because so many have closed. The closest one to where I grew up and the closest one to where I live now are both closed. I passed the Sears uh, the other day in Fort Payne that was closing down, that it looked like it had been there since the beginning of the corporation. It looks old. It's closing down, and that's a retail store closing. And so people, a lot of Trump's base, folks that kind of don't want to necessarily become educated to get new job skills, they just want to do the things they've always done, they're really going to have to face down that they're going to have to change because the world's not going to change for them. Um, things are going to get more automated, like it or not, and it's going to make the, the job situation much tougher for you if you don't learn new skills. Um, so that's my biggest story of the year nationally, and really that's, I guess, international, just like yours, Catherine, because Amazon ships other places, Sears and retail stores, were other places besides just America. And then my local story was Brian Kemp's primary campaign. We have talked about it multiple times, that it was another much to do about nothing. Uh, I mean, he ran on, I drive a truck, and I'm going to explode things, and I've got a shotgun, and I'm not afraid to use it, even on my daughter's boyfriend. And it was a very superficial campaign. Um, there was very, very, just almost no substance about real policies. And yet he just, you know, won the Republican primary. And unfortunately, still in 2018, that is the de facto uh, government, governorship of Georgia um, because he did nothing to really appeal to um, the middle. He just ran a straight campaign like he did. And the fact that that still works 
in Georgia in 2018 I thought was very sobering and sad, and that was my local story of the year. Uh, Tim, we hadn't let you say much in a little while. Any comments on any of our four stories? Well, yeah, of all of them, the one that just glares at us uh, is is Catherine's uh, story about uh, climate change and how it's affecting us because we've got to understand that climate change is not a figment of Al Gore's imagination. It's not uh, a money-making scheme. It's it's not a uh, it's it's not a policy football. It's a thing. This thing does not care if people believe that it's happening or not. It's happening, and it's going to hit us all. Um, uh, and, and another thing I wanted to mention, David, you were talking about the coming demise of Sears. I think you're going to see a lot of retail outlets that are kind of on the edge fall off of that edge. And I think the Internet and, you know, Internet shopping is, is one of the huge contributors to that uh, as a lot of uh, big brick-and-mortar places go under. So. Yeah, and just a, a little side note, in the late 1980s, three companies got together to create Prodigy Internet. And mm-hmm. uh, Prodigy Internet, one of the things that was offered by Prodigy Internet was the ability to buy things from the Sears catalog and have it shipped to your store. This was several years before Amazon was even thought about, before they ever sold the first used book. Um, Sears was one of the three investors in Prodigy, had their um, products or some of their product offerings on Prodigy. Sears could have been Amazon had they wanted to be, had they had the vision. They lacked that vision, and now they may be a, a important part, but a part of history pretty soon, um, unless something changes pretty dramatically in the next year, 2019, which we'll be at next year or next week. Well, guys, um, I think it's been an exciting political year and been a good show tonight. And until next week, it's been the Cozy Vine. Good night, guys. Happy, Happy New Year. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.